Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Rachel Milheiser of Ave Maria, Florida. Rachel will receive a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Marsha Chatlin, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedurals, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Criminal Intent, Season 2, Episode 3, Antithesis. I did a search for Australian women who had been imprisoned in Thailand. I found one who matched Hitchens, Nicole Wallace. Joining me to do that is true crime author and host of Crime Writers On and Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting podcast, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. I don't like to think of them as podcasts. I like to think of them as uh, danceable education, Kevin. That's perfect. <laughs> and rounding out the panel is our returning guest from the Office Hours podcast and undisclosed... Dr. Marsha Chatlin. Hello, Marsha. Hi, Kevin. And I know the difference between hominy and hegemony. <laughs> I just... You guys are just so smart. One of them is a grit. One of them is a grit. <laughs> and one of the, them is a source of struggle. It was a super awful, like, racist joke that was made. We didn't get that? Oh, no. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't get the difference between those two. So, Marsha, you're... An, and I can call you Marsha, right? Not I don't have to call you Dr... Or Professor Chaplin. We are we are not in a classroom, so we can be by first okay. names, but plan accordingly <laughs> okay. next time I see you on campus. Got you. Well, you are an associate professor at Georgetown, and that's a I understand that's a good school, right? <laughs> it's no Hudson University, but it's trying to oh, climb no. in the rankings. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, does Law and Order ever come up in class? You know, it's one of these reference points that I think I'm aging away from my students. I don't know if they they love the crime franchise as much as I do, but I pretend that the legal knowledge I do have comes from books when it indeed comes from Law and Order. <laughs> yes, good. I thought it was just journalists that did that. <laughs> now, there are about 1,000. No, I mean, literally, a thousand episodes of the Law & Order franchise. You say this is your all-time favorite episode. Can you tell me why? So every time this episode gets rerun on TNT or wherever, 
every professor I know stops doing work and posts on social media that the episode is on. And we all <laughs> kind of collectively react to this episode. It is ridiculous in the best law and order way. And I think as a professor, I rarely see myself in popular culture. And so to see it, you know, portrayed on a Law and Order episode, it really validates the choices I've made professionally. <laughs> oh my goodness! You're, you're nobody till you've killed somebody on Law and Order. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. Gorn and Eames, all the way. I said it last time, and I'll say it again. Um, I believe that Gorin is that guy in your graduate cohort who annoys the hell out of you. Um, he knows the answers. Um, Eames smells funny. <laughs> smells very funny. <laughs> Eames is, you know, the friend who um, hangs out. You don't know if she's in graduate school, but she's she's around. And uh, what I like about this part of the franchise and and the those two is that it makes you believe that you're smarter than you actually are if you watch the show. So you can like be kind of pretentious towards other Law & Order viewers by saying that this is your favorite franchise and that you appreciate <laughs> Gorn's deep intellectualism. <laughs> and who is your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite Law & Order District Attorney Prosecutorial Team. It would have to be Carver. You know, he sometimes works from with criminal help intent. from criminal intent. Um, I'm devoted to the franchise. What did I tell you? Um, what I like about him is that he's like really unable to keep up with the pace of Gorn's intellectualism. So there's always this <laughs> moment where he's like, damn it, you could have told me. Um, but could they have told you? Would you have gotten it? So even though he may not be the brightest among um, the group, I do think that he's probably a better actor than most. It is Courtney B. Vance, after yes. all. Yes, National yeah. Treasure. <laughs> he also did go on to do Johnny Cochran, so you That's know right. he could play. He could hit from both sides of the plate. <laughs> all right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode of Criminal Intent, Season 2, Episode 3, Antithesis. We begin on the campus of Hudson University, Yay! where the chair of the American Studies Department is retiring, and I already want to kill myself. <laughs> But how is this for a clue? Professor Mustard is killed in the conservatory <laughs> with a candlestick. Actually, make that a judge's gavel. Mm. The killer chose a weapon that would have meaning. A gavel. killer wanted justice. Winthrop came in the room. The killer was already waiting. Winthrop turned on the light. And the killer attacked him. Gordon Eames quizzed Professor Sanders, an academic with a rap album. He's getting passed over for the chair. Trying to shake his alibi, Gorn notices someone grading papers confused Ezra Pound with T.S. Eliot. So they grill teaching assistant and deadbeat Ph.D. candidate Mark Bailey. He's got no money, but he does have a pair of $2,000 pure leather cap toe double monk strap shoes <laughs> in tan. So who bought them for him? As part of their homicide investigation, Gorn and Eames go undercover as a shoe-needing dandy and his beard wife. <laughs> they find out that the shoes were a gift from visiting Oxford professor Elizabeth Hitchens. She's sexy, and she has a lady boner for Gorin. Professor Christine Fellows is next in line for the chair. Why is she so mad when she learns that Hitchens is sleeping with Bailey? Because, damn, Hitchens is a double agent macking on the other lady professor. Gorin and Eames arrest Bailey for the murder, but they believe it was all planned by Hitchens. Before he can tell all he knows... 
He has a reaction to his nicotine gum and collapses on the floor. Wow, so much happens yeah. in the first 22 minutes right? of this episode. Right, it's so high stakes, unlike academia, apparently. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it would probably take about 15 minutes to really give a, a description of the 22 minutes that we saw. That's right. So here's what's super bananas about this entire plot. No one wants to be department chair. Department chair <laughs> yeah. is being like head counselor, but getting $4 for it. Literally, <laughs> the department chair, I think that the person writing this episode might have like gone to college and misunderstood. An endowed chair means you get a whole bunch of money and don't have to do anything. The department chair is like you have to make sure you've ordered enough quesadillas for the faculty meeting. You have to like (laughs) yell at students for not coming to work study. No one wants to be department chair. So like you would rather do time on behalf of a murder you didn't commit than have to sign up (laughs) to be department chair. So this episode, this is where I find the great joy of it. None of it makes sense. So I have a question. What was the lady professor? professor's name, the one that Nicole Wallace is macking on. Fellows. All right. So she at one point is like she's vying for this job. And there's this whole like thing around department chair where like they get to go into the department chair office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How can the department chair office be any nicer than fellows like 20 foot ceilinged completely yeah. oak paneled suite of an office like where is she moving to that is better than the place she already is apparently at hudson the department chair gets a palatial mansion on the, <laughs> like overlooking the hudson none of this makes sense and the part of it that's really weird is that the department chair is elected by your colleagues so the fact that this guy upon his retirement has to go on like this journey to find the next department chair none of it makes sense well so an early clue about who they might want to be looking at Mm. is they find the lyrics to a rap album yep and Gorn believes he can tell everything about the author by just reading them Ryder came of age in the 60s and 70s probably in the Bay Area Oakland and he works for Hudson University that was one of my favorite scenes in this whole episode when Gorn is looking at the lyrics and he's like, this is somebody who grew up in the Bay Area in the 60s. And it's like, OK, OK, OK. This was better even than when he found the murder weapon shaped hole in the container and that he was like, oh, it must have been a gavel because he finds that thing with a gavel shaped hole in it. It's missing. Unbelievably astute and super stupid uh, gore and detectiving going on in that lyric scene. And I loved every second of it. Here's the other thing. They go to the department like secretary's apartment. Department secretaries don't live in such nice apartments. No one makes any money, folks. Like, I want to know what the base salary at Hudson is so I can get the hell out of Georgetown because none of it makes sense. I, I did like his uh, his analysis of all I want to do is boom a boom boom and a poom poom. It's like yeah, the writer grew up on a dairy farm, likes to wear hats. So Professor Sanders, right? Yeah. The university president has been killed. Homicide detectives are in his office, and he says, What is this about? What is this about? (laughs) (laughs) Don't touch my African artifacts, Gord. Put that down. He loves touching things. (laughs) Now, I have a question for you, Marsha, because I kept wondering. I knew this was your favorite episode as we were watching it. And you are an American studies and American history professor with a focus on, like, African-American studies and African-American history, right? Mm Mm-hmm. How do you feel about this Reggie Kathy oh, version Jesus. 
of an American studies professor and all the accoutrement in his office. Is, yes. Can you relate at all? So here's the thing. I actually <laughs> yeah. have a PhD in American studies from not Hudson University, so I've paid the price professionally. It's, a, it's brown. <laughs> yeah. oh, it's kind of like an idea. Yeah, kind of, sort of. I mean, here's the thing. This episode's ridiculous, but in the opening scene when there's this, like, going away party for this guy and there are no people of color and there's no black women, I was like, okay, that's accurate. And then when the guy is, like, super – he's, like, suppo- like the Reggie Cathy guy – is supposed to be someone who I'm sure will be revealed when we talk about what this episode is referring to. But if he's touring around the country and making rap albums, he doesn't want to be the department chair because you have to go in every day. So it's this <laughs> idea of like, like there's something very, very true about some of the like racial discrimination and dynamics within academia. But because this is law and order, no one can address that in any kind of substantive way. So he's just awful and weird, and kind of creepy. And the other thing is, like, he's allegedly in his office at night grading papers. The kind of guy that this is portraying, he doesn't grade papers. He doesn't give papers. He doesn't show up to class. So it's (laughs) this, like, really weird kind of thing where, again, I think someone on this episode heard me over, like, lunch talking about the dynamics of academia took down a few notes and then forgot what I had said and then did this episode because there's this like (laughs) weird thing that's happening in this in this show but yeah like he's got like a kente cloth he's got all this African art and I'm like how much are they making we can't afford any of these things (laughs) the detectives suspect that the shoes that Bailey were are wearing were paid for by somebody else so they go undercover to Tom McCann <laughs> not um, Tom McCann. Not Tom McCann. So Gorn and Eames display these this ridiculous couple. Oh my God, darling. These? I don't know the whole ankle boot thing. I really know. You really like the pair that Mark was wearing. He said he bought them here recently. Not him. His girlfriend. <sighs> Mark never pays for anything unless he has to. <sighs> Do you see the shoes here? What the exact shoe? Oh, I'm starting to get frustrated. I gotta say, I loved it, though. It was so weird. (laughs) Okay. It was so weird. Like, I don't want to say that Gore... I mean, you made that joke at the beginning about, like, he was uh, a feat and she was his beard wife. Yeah. And, like, that's a horrible way to characterize it, but you're characterizing it completely accurately. It was so strange. And they were supposed to be being so smooth. It was like, oh, what was his girlfriend's name again? What did they? What did he say she did for a living? I don't know. <laughs> Why were there paper sales slips? Like, was it 1820? Yeah. I like, debit cards hadn't been invented yet when this episode came out, so people wrote down, and then they were like, and then they find a phone number from Hudson's like main campus extension. You realize that most college campuses, like we're not allowed to have phones in our offices anymore because of budget cuts. (laughs) So, I mean, it's Hudson place. I'm just saying, if you're hiring. But but I think Hudson's not, I think it's Hudson U. I think it's 800 Hudson U. So (laughs) it's easy easy to remember. Perhaps. Like Crime Stoppers. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing that was funny about that scene is the story they went in with was, I need a new pair 
of everyday shoes, right? Yeah. Like anybody who is shopping at a store where shoes are $2,000 each would just A, buy one and have just that one yeah. to wear all the time. But it was just like- You mean it, one pair, not one shoe. Yeah, like one pair. Right. Like It's it's like they, they were going shopping in this fancy store as their cover, but then they went in as people not understanding at all how people would shop in a fancy store. Like it was just, it was bad on every, every level. I know, I disagree. I mean, I think, I think it was, but- there are times when criminal intent really gives a wink to its faithful fans, you know, to kind of play with these characters that they people really love. And mm-hmm. I don't think they're afraid to make D'Onofrio look um, a little silly because he is so intense. Yeah. Well, if I were directing him, I would do the same thing. You know what this is? <laughs> it's a criminal intent version of when SVU, when they send um, Stabler and Benson to be like weirdo couples or, you know, they send them into sex parties or singers. And and you're like, I don't even know if I'm supposed to laugh or just kind of hate myself a little bit for watching, but you end up doing both. (laughs) (laughs) She's protective of him, though. I mean, we did see Eames like put herself in front of Goran when he went to talk to Nicole. Like she like put her body. I hate to be a spoiler sport. (laughs) I hate to be a spoiler sport but did you see bailey tuesday night <laughs> she knew it was up okay we have a hey it's that guy hey it's that guy now we already uh, talked about reg e kathy mm-hmm. in this episode he's professor sanders just because you run this university like a plantation don't make you massa and we your feel hey uh, we know him from the wire house of cards uh, we've already had him on as a hey it's that guy and he passed away the week we featured him right which thus began a string of deaths that's right of the same week we mentioned people in our podcast the partners in crime media curse yes yes uh, so still with us, we hope, is <laughs> Olivia Dabo, uh, best known for being Karen in the Wonder Years. I mean, do you honestly think that I could fool the Dons of Oxford for one minute if I wasn't who I say I am? Her character of Nicole Wallace was reprised in a British crime show called Joe. Huh, really? Yeah, and it, that one is created by criminal intent creator Renee Balker. I didn't know that. Yeah, you didn't know that. That's why you're on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, but let's get to our, our our two hey it's that guy that girl. Let's do our hey it's that girl. Hey it's that girl. Who recognizes the actress playing Doctor Fellows? Oh man, I feel like she was like an '80s sitcom mom, not the mom from Alf, but something along those lines. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Okay, her name is Linda Eamond. In theory, I wouldn't be opposed to offering someone of Elizabeth's caliber a permanent position. In theory, what about in practice? I'm not head of the department yet. She's currently in the uh, the AMC show Lodge 19, and this is her 12th Law & Order wow. appearance. She's wow. had seven on SVU as neurobiologist Emily Sofer. Huh. Now, Reggie Cathy was also on the PBS show Square One. Did- what? What is that? Oh, my gosh. This might be a weird generational thing. Square- is it like dancing with lessons with dancing? What was the, no. we called the rap <laughs> oh, the, the educational <laughs> dance. No, Square yeah. One was a math show for kids that you could watch after school, and then they would do different skits. And then- the- you Already you lost me oh, on all uh, those things. becoming a professor. That. I mean, you had me on TV, <laughs> but math, doing it after school. <laughs> and then they had a fake dragnet show called um, MathNet. 
where they would solve crimes with math. Okay, yes, this is me <laughs> as the child. <laughs> but yeah, wow. Reggie Cathy was on that show, and he was also on House of Cards as the as that's the same. Yeah, that's him. That's who yeah. it is. He was yeah. on. He was on as the barbecue guy. But yes, he was on yeah. Square One, which was. I'm sure many of your listeners will appreciate that reference. <laughs> <laughs> or professors. Now for our hey, it's that guy. Yeah. Who is the actor playing retiring chair George Dawkins? I doubt if Roland Sanders would want to keep Elizabeth on. He once accused her of being an apologist for Australia's shabby treatment of aborigines. The old guy from St. Elsewhere. <laughs> no. Is that him? That's not the guy from St. No. Elsewhere. Oh. He's definitely yeah, a hey, it's yeah. that guy. I know I've seen him as I know I've seen him on other Law and Order episodes, and I know that I think he may have been on The Wire or something. He may be another Wire person, right? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, Peter Garrity. Uh huh. This is his ninth Law and Order yes. franchise appearance over four, including Trial by Jury. So, you know, eighth. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know him from The Wire, Sneaky Pete, and Paul Blart. Uh huh. He played also Stuart Garty, Garty, not Garrity, but Garty, Stuart Garty. On Homicide, Life on the Street, the character first appeared as a cowardly patrolman who becomes a dubious detective who later takes over the homicide unit when G runs for mayor. Now, I bring it up because Garrity had an affair in Baltimore with Billy Lou Munch, John Munch's fourth wife, which led to the divorce. Wow. This guy's been around. He has been around. (laughs) So apparently he has been in everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yuck. So points to Hudson for hiring another criminal professor. <laughs> we are Hudson, where the bad guys go to school. Uh, Gorn goes to Hitchens' class, right, and he's hiding behind a student <laughs> in the back, waiting for the perfect rhetorical question to jump in. Moby Dick, what characterizes Ahab's obsession? Yes, in the back. A dogged, unrelenting pursuit of evil. So, Marcia, could a 44-year-old, six-foot-four inch man in a suit and tie hide in the back of your classroom without you noticing? Absolutely not. I get some really bad Twitter trolls, so I keep eyes on who's coming into my classroom. <laughs> in what world does this guy – I also, one of the points I wrote on my notes on this, like, hey – Professor Hitchens, like, control your freaking classroom. Know who's coming in and out. It's it's bad security. It's bad policy. And, like, I feel bad for all the other kids who are like, hey, who's the old guy sitting the Yeah. Poor bandana kid. for this education. <laughs> this guy just walked in. I don't think the bandana kid was you paying. You just say you have to go to the bursar's office and get your... <laughs> You send them out. You got to come back. I did have so many questions about like how he got in. So obviously he had to get there before she did. He had to choose his seat and then hope that a bunch of kids would sit around him. Yeah. And then he had to lurk in the corner for how long? How long was that class? <laughs> At least 90 minutes, right? Yeah. Your shortest class, Marsha, probably 90 minutes, right? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Otherwise she dismissed and there everybody had to be immediately. No break. Because if there had been a break, people got up to leave. He would have been blah, He would have been seen. Yes. So right. was he doing hiding under the desk for I don't 90 know. minutes? And you know it's Hudson, so you know everybody's smoking in. <laughs> it's prestigious, Kevin. Prestigious. Two of Elliot's kids went there. It's prestigious. <laughs> so there were two lines in this episode that were my favorite. One of them happened in the first half when Nicole turns to her boyfriend Bailey and so says, "Just have your gum and get into bed. Have your gum and get into bed." <laughs> <laughs> That's so sexy. Is he you supposed see, to be chewing the gum as he goes to sleep? Like, what's the plan there? <laughs> you know, if they're like all of a sudden like going to get it on, I'd be like, 
take your gum out of your mouth and get in the bed. <laughs> it's so weird. And it, usually the show isn't that demonstrative about clues. It was just weird. And the other thing that they uh, were talking about that I loved is when Nicole was talking about poor Bailey's paper and his like the worst kinds of pop culture reductive analysis. Yeah. All I could think of was my poor son who just wrote a college uh <laughs> college essay about Law and Order SVU. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, let's just hope that Wallace is not on the admissions committee oh. that is reviewing this essay. <laughs> Are you saying it wouldn't butter your parsnips? Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. All right, now we're going to take a look at the second half of this episode. Mark Bailey's nicotine gum was spiked with peanut oil, but so far they can't make the case that Elizabeth Hitchens was responsible for either death. Before he died, he implicated Hitchens. His statements of no use now. Have, have you heard from Scotland Yard? They have no outstanding warrants for Hitchens, no open investigations. Bailey's allergic reaction was to peanuts, specifically peanut oil. The nicotine gum, she spiked it with a needle through the packaging. She knew he was a liability. When I went to her class, she knew what I was doing. She knew I'd use her words to turn him. They learned Bailey had a previous allergic reaction after eating at a Thai restaurant where Hitchens was ordering food in the native language. They discover her real name is Nicole Wallace. (gasps) And she spent time in a women's prison in Thailand for eight murders with her boyfriend. If her lesbian lover, Professor Fellows, hires Wallace, she could stay safely in the United States under her assumed name. But after some fucking bullshit about borrowing the wrong key and the police swapping the doorknob, <laughs> they bring Nicole in for interrogation. Seems she's already done a ton of research on Gorin, showing that she knows his date of birth, social security number, and the loony bin where he stashed his mother. Then the gloves come off. Gorin's all like, well, your father must have molested you. And Nicole's all like, well, what was it like having a crazy mother? And Gorin's like, you were a prostitute. And I'm like, why don't you just get a room and fuck already? (laughs) A university professor springs Nicole, but before she goes, she drops a breadcrumb for Gorin about a nonprofit foundation in Australia. They learn the real, unaccounted for Elizabeth Hitchens is wanted for embezzlement there. Gorin and Eames rush to Nicole's apartment, but find... She's already vanished. Mm. All right, can someone explain to me what happened with the key in the doorknob? (laughs) This is utter nonsense. Christine, it's a trick. I didn't take your key. You didn't sleep with him. You lied to me. For heaven's sake, Christine. I can't have you here. You're relieved of your duties as of immediately. In that case, you're under arrest. There was a classic law and order trope that happened that I think enabled this. The police come to investigate you for a homicide. So you get flustered and you walk out of the room and you leave the cops inside of your office slash home because it's no big deal. So I think that's what happened when Mark like Bailey was like, oh, the cops think I killed someone. No big deal. I'm going to go get a snack. And then they did the key thing. 
I think they just had the janitor switch the locks or something, right? With, without the university knowing? I, oh, the janitor probably yes. knew. <laughs> so I, yes. So we're, it, it's made off that Mark returned the wrong key, and so what? that key is not going to It was fit. entrapment. It was, it was like entrap- lying yeah. to her to trap her. And the way they did that is they didn't actually swap the key. The police went in and swapped the doorknob because that was easier. But here's the question. Like, why was it so important to get the lady professor fellows to be part of this confrontation, why couldn't they just arrest Nicole and confront her with all the stuff they knew? Like, why did it have to be like, we have to show you up in front of your girlfriend before we take you so to So you'll be fired <laughs> and lose your green card, and then oh, we can... Oh, complicated plan. By the way, the department chair doesn't unilaterally hire and fire anyone, and, like, there's a few human resources <laughs> offices involved in denying visa privileges. This is not how it works, mm. folks. Not at all. Yeah, and the New York Police Department doesn't arrest people for immigration stuff. There is so much like a salad of bad authority. I, I'm i even for a Law and Order episode, I've got to say. <laughs> well, when they confront Nicole that, you know, she isn't Hitchens, but otherwise has no paperwork or formal status, they say, Look, you can bang on all you want, but I am invoking my right to be silent. No, you don't have that right. I know what my rights are, and I'm also invoking my right to an attorney. You don't have that right either. What are you talking about? You're a foreign national with no green card, no tourist visa, no valid work permit. That makes you a person with no status. I can keep you as long as I want to. Now, if she read the 14th Amendment as well as she read Moby Dick, (laughs) she'd know that's just fucking bullshit. That's right. That's right. So I'm thinking she might as well just confess to everything because they can't use it against her now. I kind of felt like Stephen Miller went back in time. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to separate you from your family and put you in a cage. There's no due process in this world on that one day involving Hudson University. (laughs) The other thing that I was wondering is, you know, she kept denying it, denying it, denying it. And they were like, they were cornered because they couldn't prove it. I'm like, don't they have the fucking newspaper picture? of her that shows her like they we saw it the audience they show us the picture and there's never a scene where they're like hey that's you <laughs> and she just oh. she just like sits there and denies it and they're like oh maybe she's not it's like what are you talking about you saw her picture that's fred savage's sister from the wonder years it's 100 <laughs> she goes to great lengths to create this new persona and learn everything about oxford blah 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 but at a thai restaurant she thinks it's totes funny to joke about the time that she spent in a prison in Thailand with the waitress. Like, this That's this right. behavior makes no sense. And then Gorin, all of a sudden, he, like, has no emotions about anything, but decides to start talking about her his mentally ill mom with her. Like, no, <laughs> none of these characters act like the people that they are for the majority of the show. And that's why we can't figure out what just happened. That's right. She rattles him. She rattles him. He says, this one is very, very good. What are you talking about? She's just a psychopath. You've dealt with way worse, Gorin. Way worse. Yeah, so the confrontation be- between Gorin and Nicole gets dark pretty fast. Yeah. How old were you when you first realized your mommy wasn't like all the other mommies? Seven. Are you ashamed? I'm frightened. It's, it's my turn. How old were you when your father first molested you? It's the only explanation for your intense hatred for men. And not that you think much of women either. Since your mother was too scared and too drunk 
too self-absorbed. No. To, to protect uh, you. None of those things happen. None of those things are true. No, that's why you can't form connections. That's why you use sex as an exercise in self-hatred. It's why when you came back from Thailand, you supported yourself with prostitution, didn't you, Nicole? So it's like, oh, you're going to go there? Um, so what do you think of these suppositions about each other's complicated <laughs> personalities? Just by looking at you, I can tell your father molested you. No, 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 you. not only that. How old were you when your father molested yeah. you? That's presumptuous. What was it like knowing your mother was batshit? <laughs> I, I do not share that experience with Nicole Wallace. And he said, this is why you hate men. I feel like there's a lot of reasons to hate men that have nothing to do <laughs> yeah. with abuse at an early age. I was like, come on, Goran, really? <laughs> It's the only thing yeah. that can explain it. It's the only thing. Right. And not for nothing, but I think we already established that the motive was for professional advancement, not because she just hated men. That's right. Yes. And we also heard that she killed people with her old boyfriend because he wanted her to, right? Or at least yeah. that's what she said. She's got eight bodies on her. That's all very believable. Plus two more, so that's ten. So that's you filled up one whole card. Your next murder is free. <laughs> I don't know where this whole, like, Gore and Wallace, I don't see the chemistry at all. No. I know we're supposed to believe that they become, like, uh, that Sherlock Holmes, that woman who's the... You mean Moriarty? Yeah, but there's Moriarty, but also that, like, lady villain that he sort of, like, pairs up with, you know, who's, the like, the comedy. The one whose dad is, like, a serial killer? Yeah. Yes, that one. Like she's, she's supposed to. There's supposed to be like a, a spark between them. Uh-huh. I have never, ever, ever seen it ever. But we're supposed to believe it. A good question is why, when she's getting away with all this, does she feel the need to turn over another card in her carefully constructed identity theft while she's literally walking out the door? I mean, why does she feel the need to get a job? I mean, she's clearly <laughs> able to like be anywhere she wants to be, live anywhere she wants to live, borrow anybody's apartment she wants to borrow, and like have sex with anybody she wants to have sex with. Why do this whole charade of like trying to get a job at a stupid university that's like like the worst college in the world? Like, why? It seems like that'd be a pretty hard job to fake for a cover. It's like <laughs> when you're in witness protection, they make you go work at Pinkberry, right? It's not like okay, all of a sudden now you're, you're going to work at NASA and just you know. So we're going to start teaching safety at the, for astronauts. I'm not convinced you're doing a good job faking it. If you look carefully in that scene where she's asking the question about Moby Dick, yeah, it's like she's talking about Moby Dick in that era of of romanticism. Writing. And, yeah. and if you look on the board, it's all like modern, yes. like beat writers. I'm, I'm glad that you saw this. And here's the thing I love about the show: in the Law and Order universe, Goran is the only person who's ever read a book. So it's like yeah. he's the only one who has sufficient literacy to understand any reference. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you might be the smartest guy in your office, but surely on vacation someone has read a book before. Yeah. <laughs> he would be the world's greatest grad student, let me tell you. Oh, he'd be a pain in the ass. His dissertation would go uh, 100, 1,000 pages. It would be the worst kind of pop culture reductive nonsense. And, he, and here's yeah. the other thing. The, the last note about this is that um you know it has a lot of great you know stereotypes about professors you've got the professor sleeping with a graduate student blah 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 but this idea that you can compel a student to commit a murder for you i've been in this game 
pretty long time. If you get an assignment on time, you're doing pretty well. So this show and How to Get Away with Murder, I have yet to have a student volunteer to collude to cover up a crime for me. But you know what? My career is still going. Well, you're just not a good enough teacher, I guess. I'm just not trying hard enough. You know, I will say, but only at Hudson where they have a British professor teaching American studies. That's right. That's right. That sounds about right. <laughs> it's competitive, Kevin. It's very it, competitive. Yes, I get it. Uh, so Goran and Eames are Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Does Holmes need a Moriarty? Does every Holmes need a Moriarty? Uh, oh, did you not read a book? I mean, I don't know. Is, is Goran the only one who's ever read a book? I mean, Luther has Alice, right? And, you know, that does seem to be like the way it always goes in all of these things. So, sure. I mean, I don't think it's like... Isn't, wasn't that the twist in Unbreakable? Yes. Yes, it's true. I mean, Clarice has uh, Dr. Lecter. Yeah, I mean, I guess everybody at home doesn't need him already. Yes. The answer is yes. Yes. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. So, right? Marsha, what did you think of Rebecca's uh, <laughs> thesis? I mean, it started out a little tepid, but towards the end, she brought in some... Actually, I have to say, your, your reference practices are excellent. I wish students would bring as many references about television into their papers. <laughs> I, would enjoy, I would enjoy reading yes. them a lot more. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Well, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. The key plot point in this episode was inspired by a very public dust-up between a famous professor and the president of Harvard. Cornel West is a leading academic of African-American studies. In addition to holding a PhD in philosophy, Dr. West became a media fixture as a charismatic political commentator during the 1990s. In the year 2000, he became a senior advisor to Democratic presidential candidate Bill Bradley. It was at this time the Harvard professor was summoned for a private meeting with university president Lawrence Summers. It was later reported that Summers dressed down West for missing too many of his classes to devote time to his other celebrity efforts. Summers suggested the professor dedicate time to a scholarly publication rather than his recent book to political commentary. The fracas went unreported until West left for Princeton in 2002. The professor trashed Summers in public appearances. West also said he was miffed that Summers didn't send him get well wishes after cancer treatment. Among normally sober academics, the beef was quite juicy. Lawrence Summers left Harvard in 2006. Cornell West continues to lecture on racial and social justice issues around the country. Bam, bam. 
So, Marsha, you are a associate professor at a very prestigious college. Is it unreasonable to expect a professor to show up to all of his classes? So, I think it is totally reasonable to expect a professor to show up to all their classes. And I think... I, 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 t- I sense a however coming. You were scared for a second. One. And <laughs> I think that it's also important for people who produce knowledge to spend time among communities and with people who may never enter a college classroom, but also deserve to be engaged and listened to. Yes. See, that was my follow-up was going to be, what is the right balance between academics serving academia and serving the public and society? you got to go on podcasts like these. Um, <laughs> no, I think- no, not these. Maybe some other podcasts. No, really as someone who really believes in doing scholarship in public, I think it's my responsibility to make a case for my academic discipline as well as for higher education. So I like to think of myself as a lobbyist of sorts to help the public understand why our research is important and why they should support it. And so I think it's important for people to engage a lot of communities because without taxpayer dollars and without public support, we wouldn't have the kind of jobs that we have. So I think it is important to have a nice balance. So I know both those guys that Cy talked about in The Real Story. I know, you know Pro Cornell West. No, but I know right. them from like TV. And Larry Summers was a, a member of the Clinton administration. I believe he was Secretary of the Treasury. Larry Summers is also a character in the Facebook movie, The Social yes. Network. He's he the one who slapped down the Winklevoss. If that's true, I mean, as, as mixed feelings as I might have about him as a human being, given all that we're learning about Harvard right now and their super shitty admission practices, that scene where he smacked down the Winklevi in the social network is one of my favorite portrayals. Winklevi. I, like <laughs> I do think it's important, though, maybe to have it sort of both ways, where if you are an academic researcher, you're supposed to be gathering knowledge, but it probably does no good if you share it only with right. graduate students right. and you know with other professors, and that there is a an obligation for someone, perhaps you, perhaps somebody else, but to take it the next step. And bring it out there to the public, yeah. especially if it's research on things like social justice issues, which benefit many people right. who may never go to Hudson University. But here's the thing, and this is the thing, a lot of professors write academic papers, which the world doesn't read because they're usually behind paywalls. Right. We only get the little synthesis of them that's in the week or like USA Today if it's something juicy like eating oranges helps you lose weight or whatever. We never get like the real uh-huh. stuff. It's when professors write books that are meant for broad consumption that we actually get to avail ourselves of their work. And I think about somebody besides Marsha, I think about someone like Colin Miller from Undisclosed, who has like made it his life's mission to like teach America about the law. And like what he's doing outside the classroom to me doesn't make him, it probably makes him an even better teacher because he's just, it's important to him that as many people understand as possible. And I really admire that. Absolutely. I think Colin Miller is a really good example of someone who takes his academic job seriously, but also I think takes his um, public service really seriously. And hopefully with more people like him out there, it'll really change the future generations of people who want to enter the profession because they see that you can do both of those things. You're right. Dr. West was in two of the Matrix movies. <laughs> uh, he did have a rap album out at the time of that dust up. He actually has had three albums out. Danceable Education. Yeah. So, Marsha, I want to know, when is your country music Christmas album coming out? <laughs> 
I think you are more likely to see an announcement that I am the department chair of American studies at Hudson uh, before you see that album, but you never know. Well, apparently they have an opening. That is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Marsha Chatlin. Marsha, where can our listeners follow you online? You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. M. Chatlin, D-R-M-C-H-A-T-E-L-A-I-N. I like how she spells it out. You know she's an academic. That's right. Rebecca Lavoie, <laughs> how can our listeners follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and follow the adventures of my broken leg at Reb Lavoie. <laughs> and you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can tweet to us at Law & Order Potter. Follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are the Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Get your first month free at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for Criticism and Commentary. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the Bodega and Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studios and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.